Good morning. All right, I'm reading from Luke 17, 11 through 19, um, the NIV version. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told his, this parable. Two men went, went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, Pharisees and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. Um, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his, chest, beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. May God's word shape us and form us. So we are continuing our series on teach us how to pray, Lord. Teach us how to pray, where we're going through uh, various prayers in scripture and breaking it down, gleaning from it what we can uh, in terms of how we ought to pray uh, by looking at these prayers in scripture. And uh, this one, this passage uh, is unique because it's one of a few, a handful of passages where Jesus actually talks about people praying. How should you pray? And uh, we, we get examples, actually. We get an example of the Pharisee and an example of the tax collector. And we get to hear Jesus say, which of these people, which of these men who are praying were justified, was justified? Um, but before we get into the passage, I wanted to ask a question. And the question is this. If, I were, if you were passing someone on the street, or you're at a mall, or you were at your workplace, or at your school, and someone said, hey, how's it going? Hey, Casey, how's it going? What do you say? What are some common responses? Fine. Well. Well. Hey. Hey. <laughs> Mine is good. Or sometimes if I want to appear upbeat and happy and don't want anyone to ask any further questions, I say, great. I'm doing great. I'm doing good. Or if you're in Seattle, you might get on a cloudy day, you might get, oh, I'm kind of tired. You know, I'm tired. Um, but what you don't hear often is... Someone saying, well, if you have some time, I'd like to t tell you about what I'm struggling with. I'm actually kind of struggling, a little anxious about my finances, and I'm a little insecure going into my workplace that I'm not competent, or, or I'm a perfectionist, and I'm not meeting the mark, and all of these things, and it, do you have time? Sorry. I'm, I'm kind of down and blue. I feel a little de depressed. I'm trying to pop my vitamin D pills because this rain is just killing me. It's three months of rain, 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 beating down on me. And I hardly have any excitement in my life or any passion. I don't have any purpose. What do you think the person across from me is going to do or say? They're like, TMI, right? Too much information. And I think it's interesting. On one hand, it's, we're busy people, and we have to go on with our lives, and we have to move on to the next. So when we ask, how are you doing, we're not actually asking, how are you doing? We expect a positive answer, right? It's actually a way that we say, 
and like, let's pass, let's move on. But we're not really asking how the person is doing. Because if I were to share with each person who asks, how are you doing? Honestly, at every moment, extremely honestly, there wouldn't be time in the day and it would be an awkward, socially awkward situation. Am I right? Am I right? Like, oh my, too much drama. Get away from this guy. We want to be happy. We want everything in our lives to be fine. And I think we want things around us to be fine. We want other people to be fine because we want ourselves to be fine. We want some sort of control, right? Because many times we aren't doing well, but there's not a lot of outlets or avenues for us to express or communicate. Man, I'm not doing well, actually. Actually, I'm not happy. Actually, I'm, pretty, I'm struggling, right? And even if you are not a believer, even if you've been away from the church for a long time, right? Ask this question, who do I talk to? Who are the people in my life that I can really honestly share my heart and my life? To, to really honestly answer that question, how are you doing? Right? And especially in church culture, in the church, in the West, in America, we seem to be addicted to what some people call triumph, triumphalism. And in our culture, we like positive feelings. We like to be happy. Right? We like to be about victory, about winning. So we come to church and we want to sing happy songs. And we want, to sing, we want to praise the Lord. And there's actually a professor in the Covenant Church, Sun Chang Ra, um, who wrote a book on lament. And he went through popular uh, church music, praise music, trying to count how many songs of lament are there in the church. Lament meaning like in the songs, like crying out, God, save me, God, rescue me, God, I need you, getting down on our knees, please, being desperate in need for God. And literally, it was very difficult for him to find any songs in the top, like CCLI, top songs that we sing. Almost as if Coming to church is like a pep rally. I need to wake people up because you guys are about to sleep. Rah, 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 spirit hands, spirit hands, spirit hands. Amen? Amen. Right? If that were the case, then I'm, I'm an inspirational speaker up here. Right? I'm here to get you up. It's a halftime show. Get you up to get out there into the rain again and say, I'm great to people who ask, how are you doing? But actually, God is the God of reality. God is interested in not just people who are doing well or when you've got everything put together. Right? God is a God of grace. We come here because we believe that Jesus saves. And Jesus saves those who are in need of him. Amen? You believe that? So, it naturally follows that Jesus is interested in your depravity. He's interested in where you struggle and where you suffer. God has a heart for the poor and the oppressed and those who are suffering. 
And sometimes it's hard for us to stay in that with ourselves, in, in the lament and the suffering, and to stay in that with other people. How many of you have been following what's been going on with the U.S. gymnastics, Dr. Nasser? Um, he's on trial, the U.S. gymnastics uh, kind of doctor. Um, but there are over, I hear, over 160 women, girls, who went through the U U.S. gymnastics program who were sexually abused and molested by Dr. Nasser. And so he's, stand, he's standing trial, and, and the news is following it. And girl after girl after girl after girl is, uh, they're sharing victim testimonies. And they get to go to a podium and look at Dr. Nasser and tell him um, whatever they want to tell him. Like how, how what he did affected them, how he wounded them. And it's just unbelievable. Unbelievable how 160 women can go through this and no one stopped it. No one asked the question, what's wrong? The system. And so all of these people, like Michigan State University, the, the president, the board, they're all stepping down. Um, U.S. Gymnastics, the board is like dissolved. All these things are happening because how can this happen? Right? It seemed like Everything is so good. And the U.S. Olympic team, gymnastics team, is winning gold every Olympics. Gold, 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 superstars. But underneath, there's just this darkness and pain. And it's almost hard to watch, right? Testimony after testimony, you're like, man, I got to turn this off. I got to take a break. Right? It's just too much. And yet, I have the luxury of turning off the TV, but that doesn't take away from the reality that that pain exists, and there's more and more and more pain out there. And the thing that, that really struck me is they played a video of one of the fathers. The girl, the, his daughters, had two daughters on the U.S. Olympic team. And uh, so he's like, Judge, can I say something? And the judge, the judge says, yeah. He says, can I have five minutes with Dr. Nasser? And she said, no, you can't do that. Our justice system doesn't allow for that. And there's this kind of awkward laugh in the background, like, is he joking? And he's like, can I have one minute? She's like, you, sir, you know I can't do that. I'm sorry, blah, blah, blah. And then you just see in his face the pain and the rage, right? Like, the suffering you put my daughters through. As a father, the only thing I can do is just, this, I just feel this rage. And he charges, right? He charges after uh, Dr. Nasser, and the bailiffs have to jump up and they, they like block him. And that, that, I was just thinking, man, what a terrible job for the bailiffs. Like if I was a bailiff, I'd be like, maybe I just miss. Miss, miss blocking them and like the guy can get a couple licks on him, right? All of us would be like, sure, of course, yeah, that's fine. We wouldn't blame him, right? But they stop him and they like tackle him and the father's face is shoved to the ground. And he's just like, ah! And everyone's, even the cops are like patting him on the back. 
calm down. It's okay. Everyone understands. But he's the one with his head pressed into the ground. And everyone's weeping in the back. And his daughters are like, no, dad, no, no. And the thing is, in that situation, like, what do you do with that rage and that messiness and that pain? What do you do? And I think oftentimes what we do is cover the pain up, cover the suffering in the world. Because it's just too overwhelming and there's not a neat answer, right? And I'm here to say to you that as we're talking about prayer and learning about prayer, prayer is a place where we if there's any place where we can be messy and honest, it's in prayer, right? And if you're not a person of prayer or you're not used to praying or you're like, I don't know if God's even up there, can I pray, right? I welcome you, try it out. Maybe you don't have a friend or a significant other who will share your deepest, darkest thoughts with. Throw up your prayer to God. Thank God, this is how I'm feeling. Beat on God's chest and be like, I'm angry. Are you even there, God? He's big. I think God can take it. And he listens and he hears. And he doesn't get tired or impatient. He's like, oh, what a burden. Oh, too much drama. Can he? I've got kind of compassion fatigue. Right? I'm tired of listening to people. I'm tired of loving. Right? That's just too much. There's too much pain in the world. I can't listen to you. No. God listens and God hears. And this is what Jesus is talking about. Two people are praying. And the first, the first verse, verse 9 says, To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else Jesus told this parable and he tells the parable of a Pharisee and a tax collector Pharisee is uh, many of us know religious leaders of the time Jewish religious leaders in the temple system right and they were experts of the law they were experts of the scriptures they were experts of how we're supposed to be righteous how one is supposed to follow um, the laws and precepts and a lot of times, especially in our church context, Pharisees get a bad rap, right? Pharisees are Jesus' nemesis, right? And we, look, we read stories and parables with the Pharisees and we go, yeah, it's, it's predictable. Jesus is going to rip on them, right? Because they're the hypocrites, right? They're the hypocrites. And look at them, right? It's really, it's really clear who the bad guy is in this, right? Two men are praying, and the Pharisee says, Thank you, God, that I'm not like those people over there. The sinners, the adulterers, the smokers, the gamblers, the drug users, the people that don't go to church. Thank you that I'm not like them. But I'm righteous. I follow all the rules. I don't break anything. I go to the temple every day. I fast two day, two times a day, and I give 10% of my income to the temple, to the church. Right? 
And this story is predictable. And it's very simple. And that's the problem. That's the trap. Because as soon as we go, well, what, are, what is our response in the pews, in the seats? At least I'm not like the Pharisees. <laughs> I'm not a hypocrite, right? I don't look down on people. I'm not self-righteous. I don't pat myself on the back. And as soon as we do that, it's not such a simple parable anymore, right? Because you're doing exactly what the Pharisee's doing. You're using your prayer and your comments to separate yourself from the other, saying, this is me and that's them. This is me and that's them. I'm not like a Pharisee. And so we sleep on these passages. Oh, the Pharisees, I'm not a Pharisee. Maybe, you know, Edward over there, he needs to hear this because he's kind of a hypocrite. He's an elder in our church, but, right, he's self-righteous. But we do this all the time. We categorize people outside the church, in our country. Look at politics. You kind of, before I meet someone, I kind of, and I don't know them, I kind of look at their Facebook page, right? Like, okay, did they vote for Trump or, or not? <laughs> like, what kind of person am I dealing with? Right? Are they li- liberal, progressive, or are they conservative, fundamental? I got to know because I got to know how to deal with them or if I'm going to even deal with them at all. We we have a lot of labels. For instance, was in somewhere else, not Seattle, and I saw someone drive up in a truck with a rifle rack and a Confederate flag, I probably would avoid that person, right? Because there's a lot of imagery in my mind. We categorize this. This is me and that's them. Even in the church, we do that, right? Are you, do you read the Bible like in a liberal way? Like, are you a fundamentalist? Or are you like progressive, right? Or do you, yeah, oh, let's not go there. Uh, human sexuality, I don't know. What are your thoughts? Oh, we won't talk about it. And there's an us and them, an us and them. And in first, in this, in Jesus's day, in the temple system, very similar. There's an us and them. There's an us and them between the Jews and the Gentiles, right? The Samaritans and the people and the uh, Jews in Jerusalem. There's a tension. You're clean. Or I'm clean and you're unclean. And in the temple system of that day, actually the very physical kind of presence of the temple you knew where you stood or what your social status was just based on where you could be in the temple, right? The closer that you could go in to the Holy of Holies, right, to the inner courts, the more holy or righteous, right? You're a priest, you're a Pharisee. Whereas, like, if you were a sinner or just a normal person or an outsider, you had to stand in, like, the outer courts, right? And actually, there were... Uh, stones, cornerstones in some of the temple walls and gates that say Gentiles stay out, right? Non-Jews, you stay beyond this. And so even in the temple, there's a sense of this is us, this is inner, and this is outer. And this is what the Pharisee in his his prayer, in his language, is making those delineations. 
He's using prayer to separate himself from the other and to raise himself up in terms of um, his status, his accomplishments. We like to win, right? And in the Sim family, we're competitive. Uh, if you, every morning when we go to the van to go to school, Cammie will cry if Isaiah gets to the van before her. Like, everything is a race, right? And Isaiah, like, gets in so many fights with me because I don't, because I'm competitive. I don't let him win like a good father should do, right? I just can't let him win. So when we wrestle, I have the last word. I let him beat me up, but just so that he knows that I'm tougher and stronger, I then like pick him up and slam him down, right? Boom, 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 boom. And then he just starts crying like, Dad, right? you're supposed to let me win, right? And get so mad. Uh, this, co- this competitiveness, right? We like to win. The problem with winning, well, there's... Uh, on the one hand, there's no problem with winning, right? As a, I like to win. But also, the issue with winning and competing all the time is that you need someone to lose in order to win. Right? Someone has to stumble in, a, in order for you to win. And, and so, even in faith, in spiritual matters... In religion, we can play that game. We can say, Christianity or my faith is a competition, is a race. I am better, at least I'm better than those people, right? At least I don't do that. Oh my gosh. I'm a winner. But in order for me to elevate myself, I need to one, compare compare myself to other people and put them down, right? And two, lift up what? Myself, pat myself on the back, congratulate myself. Lift up my own accomplishments. And so in this passage, it's not so much that one man is humble and the other man is prideful. It's the Pharisee is missing the point of where his blessedness comes from. Because he's telling the truth. He's not lying, right? He is, in one sense, more righteous and better than these people. How many of you in this room fast twice a day and give 10% of your money to the church? Raise your hand if you do both. This Pharisee does it. He's the man. Remember in Paul, when Paul writes, you know, in terms of the law, I was a Pharisee and I was the best at it. I was the best at following the law. This guy is righteous, right? His commitment is more than a lot of us, right? Fasting twice a day, that's more than any of us. He's not lying. He's speaking the truth. But what he's not acknowledging or what he doesn't get is where that... Where his blessedness or where all of that comes from? Who is the source? It's God. God helps me. God lifts me up. God saves me. God makes me righteous. 
But in his prayer, he's pointing to himself. I have done these things. I have done these things. I'm not like them. Right? It's like Narcissus looking at his reflection in the lake and saying, this is me. This is me. Right? Look at me. And he's praying to the face in the lake and not to God. But the tax collector, it says, stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And if you know the tax collector, the system, tax collector was a Jewish person who went back to his people to collect taxes. But uh, the Roman Empire allowed tax collectors, the way that they were paid is, well, we'll let you take a little extra, whatever you want off the top. You, you set your own, right? So they collect taxes from the people, but they say, you have to give this much, and then another 5%, they take whatever, the 5%. And so they were very disliked. They, they, they made a living off of cheating people, right? Of exploiting people and stealing money from them. That's how they made their living. And so they were disliked. They're bad people by all accounts. Everyone who looked at them said, they're bad people. And it says this tax collector stood at a distance. He was one of those other people that the Pharisee was talking about. Standing at a distance. He's not in the inner circle of holy, holy temple people. right? He's on the outside, standing at a distance and beating his chest and saying, Have mercy on me, God. I'm a sinner. He, know, he feels the struggle and the tension. Maybe he feels shame. Maybe he feels guilt. He's living his life and making his living, but he realizes the pain that he's causing in other people's lives. He realizes that he's not doing the right thing. And he feels guilty. And he, he has a deep sense of his own depravity. Right? A deep sense of where he falls short. Right? And in one sense, you can say he's honest. Right? At least, and I think this is what Jesus is saying, at least as he's praying, he's honest with what he is, who he is. We are all human beings, and we all have shortcomings, we all have weaknesses. Even I have weaknesses. <laughs> it's not just I'm short. Right? Inside, right? I have character flaws. I'm selfish. Right? I, 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 I'd rather steal food from my children and eat it because I'm hungry than feed them. It's a metaphor. <laughs> I'm, I'm weak. And Jesus is saying, this man went home justified. He flips the script. Right? It's the irony. We think the Pharisee, the Pharisee has the status. The Pharisee is the one who is righteous by all estimation. But Jesus flips the script and says, no, this is the person who's righteous. He's the one outside of the temple. He's the one that you wouldn't say is holy. Because the man recognizes his depravity and recognizes that he needs God to lift him up. Isn't that what it means to be justified? 
We don't save ourselves. We don't pull ourselves up by the bootstraps. But we're saved by the grace of Jesus Christ, the saving work of Jesus Christ. And God gives us the helping hand and lifts us up. He wants to rescue you. That's God's job, to rescue us. And we need to stop weaponizing our prayers. This is what the Pharisee is doing. He's weaponizing his prayer. He's using his prayer to put people in their place and to put himself above. And we do that. What are the ways that we do that with our words, with our worship, with our prayer, with our religious activity? We weaponize it and put others in their place and lift us, us up. Is that true, church? And it doesn't have to be in a church. It's human. Go to work and see how much gossip goes on. We use information to put other people in their place and to elevate ourselves. Is that not true? Right? If there's someone better at me at ultimate, then I'll say something slight, slightly about them. Oh, well, they can't throw with their left hand. I can throw with my left hand. Just so loud. But somehow it lowers people, puts me up. If you want to know how to pray, Jesus is saying it right here. Don't weaponize your prayers, but come to me real and honest and come to me with your depravity and say, God, I need you. And what this involves is taking a look at our lament, our suffering, the things that aren't going right. When God says, how are you doing? We don't say, great, God, fine. He's going to call you out on that. God's like, oh, that's BS. Uh, can I say BS? That's wrong. You're not fine. Come on, give it to me. Give it to me straight. Give it to me real. You don't think I can handle it? You don't think I'm going to love you? You think you're going to fall down and not be picked up? Give it to me straight. Don't fake the funk on your prayers. Don't fake it. Give it to me real. Amen. Where is the good news if our prayers are lined with self-congratulation and the inadequacy of others? Thank God I am saved, unlike those people over there. We're supposed to carry good news to other people. That's the gospel. And people will see good news when we're vulnerable. How do we get closer to other people? Is it by saying we're fine or showing them? Like when I was trying to win Janice's love, I'd like to try to show off my, I wear short shorts to show off my calf muscle. <laughs> Look at my leg. And, and when I played softball, I'd like flex my arms. Look at my arm. You think Janice cared about that? No. Well, maybe a little bit on a superficial level, but that's not what she cared about. Getting close to someone and winning someone over means intimacy, right? We desire intimacy in our relationships, and intimacy requires what? Vulnerability. She doesn't want to know about my muscle. She wants to see my heart muscle. <laughs> Prayer does not serve, is not supposed to serve as a wedge that separates us from other human beings but should draw us together into intimacy and common ground. 
quite precisely because our vulnerability and dependence on God. Studies show that couples that pray together stay together. It's, all, it's like you're sharing this deep, vulnerable thing. It's intimacy. Prayer is meant to break down barriers, not create barriers. And this is what Jesus is saying. And on, Jesus, on the cross, what happened when Jesus died? What happened in the temple? It says the, temp, the veil in the temple was ripped open, and Jesus did a whole new thing. That, that social striation, the inner, the inner and the outer people, was totally broken at Jesus' death. The veil of the temple was torn in two. And God said, there's a new thing. You'll worship in spirit and truth and pray in spirit and truth and be real people because I love you. And that's what we're called to do. And that's how we should pray. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for who you are. And thank you that you have an ear and a heart to listen to us. Not when we're put together, not when we're strong, not when we're number one, but when we're weak and vulnerable and suffering and weeping and lamenting as well, especially. In Psalm 34, 18, you say, God is near to the brokenhearted and contrite in spirit. And we take that as truth as we lift up our prayer to you as we go from this place. In your name, we pray. Amen.